four. So it's going to be on the screen, but it's also um, in the church Bibles on page 1178. Can I encourage you to, like, it's on the screen, but do also have it open as, um, to check that what I'm saying is true and from the Bible. That's um, Philippians 1, verses 27 to verse 4. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence... I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you, are, uh, since you are going through the same struggle you saw that I had, and now hear that I still have. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Well, um, when I moved um, schools uh, nine years ago to the second school that I taught at, I... um, I went with the intention of making sure people knew that I was a Christian. Having done 10 years at another school and then being very, very nervous and scared about, I go to church on a Sunday, and when I came out to be a, being a Christian, it was really awkward with people. And I thought, you know, I'm starting a new school, and I want to make sure they know that I'm a believer. And so just after a few months, I was in a meeting with the head teacher and a few others of the leaders in school, and I said to them, I said, I want to start a Christian union. I want, the, I want to start something for the children so they, we can read the Bible together. Now, the head teacher at that time, I won't tell you her name, but she was pretty formidable. She was pretty scary. If you've read Matilda and seen Miss Trunchbull, that would not be too far. I think Simon's nodding because you know who I'm talking about. But I'm, um, Formidable. And I remember as I asked that question, her face, she had one of these faces that gradually went redder and redder and redder when something wasn't what she wanted turned to me and she said, no, we are not that type of school, Dan. Well, I was quite brave. I pushed back. I said, well, you know, the parents have asked and they said they would appreciate it and the children would like it as well. The face if it went from red to purple. And she, shout, she basically firmly said, in a loud voice, shouting, we are not that type of school. Don't ask again. Well, I wanted to push back, but I was fearful. I can say I was honestly petrified and scared. I was scared of what would happen about my job. I was scared about what she would do. And so when faced with opposition, fear had truly set in. It really had set in. And we've been studying Paul's letter to the church 
at Philippi, and it's been hopefully an encouragement to you. But Paul, for Paul, it's all about encouragement, encouraging the Philippians in their situation, in their context. And he calls them, first and foremost, look to Christ. And we'll see that next week as we uh, look at uh, deeper into chapter 2. And we look at um, when Paul talks about um, the, uh, who Christ is and what he's done, that beautiful poem that we see in the next chapter, in this next section. But he also calls them to look at him. Look at him as he imitates Christ. Look at him, and even in his persecution, his suffering against opposition, how he stood firm, all to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we share the same goal here at Oikos, isn't it? We want to see the gospel advance. We want to see it go out there. We want to see people come to know Jesus Christ because of the wonderful, wonderful gift of eternal life that they receive, for the life transformation that many of us in this room have received. We want that for everybody. But his suffering in prison for Paul had caused some Christians to leave the faith. They were scared. They were nervous. They saw Paul in prison and thought, well, I don't want that to happen to me. But also they thought, well, if Paul's one of the leading um, leaders of the Christian church, how can he be in prison? That doesn't look good. But Paul was saying to the Philippians that actually what was happening to them, they were turning from fearless Christians, fearful Christians, into fearless Christians. The very fact that Paul was suffering against, in opposition in, and suffering in prison meant that they were, their faith was being strengthened. We, see, we saw that a couple of weeks ago. But also we're seeing that Caesar's household, the imperial guard, were, were coming to hear that Paul was in prison for Christ. The gospel was getting out. It was advancing. People were coming to know Jesus. And all Paul, and Paul says for this in verse 18 and 19, in this I rejoice. Again, I will say rejoice. What Paul cares about more than anything else is that he magnifies Christ in life and in death. He cares that the Philippians would follow suit, that they would magnify Christ in all that they do. And how do we do this? Well, by setting our allegiance to heaven. I've just missed a page out. Apologies. Um, how do we do this? Well, Paul's example is, he says, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. To live is Christ, but to die is gain. Paul knows that with his life, what he's meant to do is advance the gospel, live for Christ. And he does that because he knows, and in verse 25, if you look at verse 25, it says, I know I will remain and continue with you, with all of you, because of your progress and joy. Not for Paul's benefit. For Paul, Paul knows it would be better to go and be with Christ, far better for him, stop his suffering, and he gets to be in heaven. He gets to be with Jesus. But while he remains, he knows that it's for their good that he needs to remain. For their good, not for his benefit, but for theirs. Because they were growing in boldness and fearlessness. And so now he comes to make a plea. The verses that we're looking at today, verse, from verses 27 to two, um, chapter 2, verse 4, we see that what Paul says, so you can want you to imagine him here with a finger up, speaking to them, almost warning them, saying, whatever happens, verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. The ESV 
um, puts it like this. It says, only let the man of your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Only let the man of your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Well, that phrase, only let the manner of your life, is one word in the Greek. The Greek word, polytema, I can't speak Greek very well, so at all, um, apart from oikos, and I think that's the Brummie version of saying it, but polytema um, means, it's from the word political, it actually means live as a good citizen. Live as a good citizen, live out your civic duty. Paul's focus is for Christians to let the manner of their life be lived out so they live as good citizens. But this is important. But first and foremost, what he's actually calling them to be good citizens of is not Philippi, although that is a byproduct of it. His primary thing is um, uh, plea to them is to be good citizens of heaven. You see that in chapter 3, verse 20. Be good citizens of heaven. Remember that your citizenship has changed for us, those that know and love Jesus, our citizenship is now, first and foremost, that we are citizens of heaven, of King Jesus. And as citizens of heaven, we therefore then have a responsibility to live out our lives as good citizens here in this city. It's what Jesus taught us. It's what Jesus taught us as well. He said, pay unto Caesar what is Caesar's. It's what Peter talks about as well in his first letter um, I urge you to read that. It's a very good letter. Um, but it's important how we live. We do this by living with an allegiance to heaven. First of all, recognizing that our citizenship is in heaven. And that means having an allegiance to heaven, first and foremost, means that we value Christ more than anything else. Because when we say live our lives, when Paul says live our lives of a manner of worthy of the gospel of Christ, the gospel of Christ is we receive Christ. We get Christ. Of course, we get the wonderful benefits. We get eternal life. We have forgiveness of sins. We have those wonderful, wonderful things that uh, lead us and, and lead us to an eternal salvation with God. But, but in the here and now, we also the gospel is that we receive Christ. We have His Spirit in us. Christ in you. Get the person of Christ, not just His works. Get a relationship. That is the gospel that we're to live our lives in a manner worthy of. Why else would we have allegiance to anything else? Why would the Philippians have an allegiance to anything else? If we have that wonderful citizenship under King Jesus. We see in a Roman-run city like Philippi, the pull and the opposition would have been to have lived for Caesar. Caesar wholeheartedly live for him and live for Rome, live for your city, Philippi. Because as Roman citizens, you got amazing benefits, absolutely amazing benefits. You had the right to own your own property. You had legal rights. You got to defend yourself in court or someone to defend you in court. You had the right to a legal trial with a judge. And you weren't, you weren't allowed to be tortured, whipped or harmed in any way. Amazing benefits that most of the world did not get unless you were a Roman citizen. And these are the rights, similar rights to what we have, don't we? We are citizens of the UK. We have a British passport, and with that brings a wonderful, wonderful benefits for us. But what Paul is saying is, look, your calling is, is to be a, a, the best citizen for, uh, for your city as you can, 
by first putting your allegiance to God, remembering that all those benefits are great, but they're nothing compared to what you have in Christ. Jesus gives you far much more than Rome. Jesus is for eternity. And he says, so therefore, how we live matters. How we live in our cities, how we live in our countries really does matter because it means that we should, everything that we do, we calculate, is it going to magnify Jesus? Is it going to make much of him? Is it going to make him look great? If I go for this job, is it going to make him look great? How I spoke to my wife, does that make me show that Jesus is great? If I do this, does it make Jesus look great? Does it show that I treasure him more than anything else, anything that this world can give me? We are to live in such a way that makes King Jesus look great to those around us. And we're going to drill deeper into this because I think in this passage what we see is two ways that Paul specifically encourages the Philippians to show that they live for Christ, to show the, the, the city around them that they live for Christ, that they as they do that, that they erect a sign to the world that shows they love Jesus more than Rome. And I think there are two things that I think are really helpful for us to dwell upon and think about as well in our Christian lives. So, firstly, some of you might need to click for me if I lose track in a little bit. Um, we live making much of Christ as we stand firm together in unity with fearlessness against adversaries. We live making much of Christ as we stand firm together in unity with fearlessness against adversaries. Look at verse 27 again. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. Stand firm. Paul calls them to stand firm. He's using military language, something that in this Greco-Roman city where many ex-Roman officers were living, they would have known that he was um, drawing a parallel, that reminding them that they are actually at war. Stand firm, like you would do when you're at war. Don't budge ground. Don't give a step. In fact, strive forwards. Stand firm on Jesus Christ, the gospel that you've heard, that he's your saviour and king, not Caesar. First and foremost, Christ is your king, and stand firm for him and on him. And obviously there was opposition going on. He calls them to be fearless. So there must have been opposition they were facing, similar to what Paul had faced. And he's saying, don't be frightened in death, loss of job, loss of income, um, anything, anyone that directly opposes you, stand firm, do not budge even in the face of danger. And of course, Paul is able to call them to his example to see how he has done that. But he encourages them that you don't stand firm on your own. You are to strive forward together, take steps forward together. You are one spirit, it says in verse 27. You are one spirit. When we come to know Jesus Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit, and we are all one together. We have the same spirit in us. We are one. We are united together. And together, in the face of opposition, we are able to stand firm. And the unity that he's talking about is specifically in chapter 2. We see here. 
chapter 2, verse 3 says, Do nothing, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So the unity that he calls us to, the unity that he calls us to make a sign about to the world around is a unity of us based on loving others more than ourselves. Being united within the church, not just having the same taste, but saying, actually, I'm going to stand with you in the face of opposition. When difficulty comes your way, I'm going to stand firm with you. I'm not going to budge. I'm going to stand next to you, shoulder to shoulder. I'm going to link arms with you. It's the unity that says, I'm willing to sacrifice anything for you. I'm willing to... In the hard times and the good times, I'm willing to love you and care for you no matter what. And that is a sign to the rest of the world that we are united. It's a sign to the rest of the world that we are willing to stand firm, the gospel of Jesus Christ, together. Because this is unity. is not normal. It's not what we see in the world around us. But as we stand firm together in the face of opposition, whatever that may be, we shine brightly in the darkness of this community and this world the church is to be a beacon of light it is to be a clear sign that in our fearlessness in opposition as we are united as well together as we are we are a clear sign then the world around we love jesus and we value him more than anything else for the philippians it was them putting a sign up saying i'm not scared of this opposition i'm not scared about what you're going to do to me jesus is more important than even our rights as a roman what Paul wants them to feel. To live is Christ, first and foremost, as citizens of heaven. We don't fight against opposition necessarily by, sh- well, by shouting back or having a go, but with a fearlessness and a humble unity. That's how we face opposition, with a fearlessness and a humble unity that shows that we're willing to live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's me having gone to that head teacher instead and saying, look, I would love your permission to start a Christian union, but, but I'm going to do it because I'm allowed to. You can't stop me. And I've got my other brothers and sisters in the school that know and love Jesus. That they're going to stand with me, and we're going to do this. I've got my church praying for me in this. Probably how I should have handled it. But it's also the opposition that we may face, that we are facing maybe, is from our schools and the curriculum they teach. As a church, are we going to stand firm on what we believe? When we face opposition for our beliefs, are we going to stand firm on them or are we going to cave? See, as we stand firm together, united together, we show a sign to the world that we value our citizenship in heaven more than our earthly citizenship. When we are united together, loving one another, caring for one another, even in the difficult times, that's a sign to the world too. And I just think of all the testimonies that we have, and Harriet was sharing there, of people that have, that have come into our cafe, or even come into the church, and have said, there's something different here. There's something different that goes on. They don't know what it is to begin with, but that is Christ. That is us humbly loving one another first and foremost above all else. And it draws them to Christ. But this is quite a um, a key verse that Paul talks about here in verse 28. This is a sign 
Sorry, I can't see where I am. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved. See, as we erect this sign, as we show that we value Christ more than anything else, as we seek to live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is a sign to those that oppose us of their destruction, that they are perishing because they refuse to love the truth. And we're to hold that sign up. But of course, that is a sign that we show because we want people to come to faith. We want them to come and know and love Jesus. As people that have come into this church or into our cafe have seen, some have come and seen the truth and, ref- and have bowed their knee to Jesus Christ. That's why we erect this sign. That's why it's important that we are united. But as we pray for one another, as we serve together, these are all opportunities for us to erect that sign that we love Jesus. As we forgive one another for their wrongs, that's a sign to show that we love Jesus. One thing is for sure. Opposition is only probably going to get harder. Growing in the face more of it. You just have to look around the world and there is much more opposition than there was 10 years ago. So we need to pray for one another that we would stand firm. We need to know where our war is and what is going on. We need to know that we are in a war and facing opposition and difficulty, that we can pray and help one another in those situations. Paul says in verse 30, you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now you hear that I still have. These struggles are still around. As Christians, we will face those difficulties. And so unity matters, guys. Unity really does matter. And so I'm going to ask you a couple of questions for us to maybe think upon and dwell upon over these, this coming week is, How are you actively seeking humble unity within the church? How are you actively seeking humble unity that prefers other people within the church? Is there anybody that we need to be repairing or seeking to repair unity with? I remember when I preached on Ephesians last year, and it talks about unity, that we've been given unity to maintain the bond of peace. And we've been given unity, and all we have to do is maintain it. We have it because we are one in Christ. But just struck upon that if we're not working towards building unity, by the very nature of not working towards it, we are causing disunity. We're not purposely acting to build unity within our church. That will, in itself, will breed disunity. So how can we actively seek humble unity within the church? And then secondly, where is our war? We need to recognize what war we're in, and we need to recognize that we're not in it alone. Do we recognize what opposition we're facing in our workplaces, maybe in our families? We need to know what war we're facing, first of all, so we can pray into it and stand firm together. The final part of verse 29 is crucial. Go back to it, sorry. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God and that by God it is God that builds the sign he helps us build the sign that we value Christ more than anything else we cannot do it on our own it is God's work in us and so we live making much of Christ as we stand firm together in unity with fearlessness against our adversaries but we also live making much of Christ through the gifts of suffering and faith 
We live making much of Christ through the gifts of suffering and faith. This, is, this sign of unity and of fearlessness is because, verse 29, it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. It's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. See, this is the amazing thing, and this struck me this week as I was studying this. It's a sign from God because he has given us two gifts. He gives us suffering, and he gives us the gift of faith, the gift of suffering and the gift of faith, a combination that may be not a combination we would put together necessarily or that we would want to put together. It's a bit like Weetabix and Marmite, which is... Yeah, Nathan, I thought you might like that one. Speak to the Coxpills about that. But it apparently does go together. But suffering and faith goes together. And whenever I think about suffering, it's something that I, I don't welcome. I don't want. I don't desire suffering. And yet... It is a gift from God. It's an abundant, one of his abundant gifts that he gives us. It's all about his grace. It's all undeserving, but he graciously, preciously gives us the gift of experiencing suffering at times. And the reason for that is because it builds another really important gift in us, is our faith. Our faith is built up. So in order to create a sign of fearlessness, we have to have something that we're fearful of, don't we? If we're not, if we don't have anything to fear, then we don't need faith to overcome it. But so God gives us opposition. Yes, of course, and um, I know that it's the devil that um, schemes and makes things difficult for us in this life. However, God has him on a noose. And the suffering and the um, opposition that we face can be God-given designed to build and grow our faith, just as it was for the Philippians. So in order to create a sign of fearlessness, we need something to be afraid of, and we need our faith to overcome it. And so opposition at work, God has designed some of our opposition at work. He's designed that opposition within our family, within the community, within our governments, as a gift, as an opportunity for us to build our faith. So it in turn leads to our fearlessness in order to walk in a a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, in order that in our suffering, in our opposition, we can make much of Christ and be a sign to the world, a sign to the world that we love Jesus more than anything else, but also, and wonderfully and encouragingly, it's a sign to us of our security of our salvation. He says that, doesn't he? It's a sign of their destruction, but it's a sign of our salvation. When we receive suffering and opposition, it's a sign of our salvation. God is producing a sign of suffering and faith that when they collide, sorry, I completely lost my spot on there. Um, God is producing a sign of suffering and faith that when they collide, what is born is fearlessness. A sign that is lifted up to the world that they can see it. I'll say that again. God is producing a sign of suffering and faith that when they collide, what is born is fearlessness a sign that is lifted up so the world can see it. During suffering, when we face opposition, life gets so much harder, doesn't it? 
And so therefore, loving each other in a humble unity is harder to strive for and harder to work for. But through this, God, through this, God gifts us faith to make much of Christ. And this is all a sign that you are his. So that again, through this, God gives us faith to make much of Christ when life gets harder. And this is a sign to you that if you are saved, it gives a security of salvation. It grows our faith. When we, conquer, when we overcome fear with faith, it's a sign that we are saved. When we stand up to opposition, it's a sign that we are saved. It's a precious gift that we need to welcome and endure. As we make much of Christ in all our circumstances, we enjoy the gift of faith. We enjoy the security of our salvation. Piper says this, which I found really helpful. On there, apologies. He says this, God will graciously give you suffering and faith so that you might enjoy making much of him through the fearlessness of faith and the humility of love. God will graciously give you suffering and faith so that you might enjoy making much of him through the fearlessness of faith and the humility of love. This made me think of, um, I spoke to Danny and asked his permission to speak about this. Larry mentioned who's recovering from um, major surgery. And it has been um, encouraging to see how he is seeking the Lord through his difficulty and suffering, how he turns to the Lord when, when it's tough and hard, which is most of the time, and how he's honest with saying that it's been a chore to see how God, how is God being good in this situation, but he wants to see it and see how God is working it to his good as he promises he would. But what has also been encouraging is being able to speak to him and just encourage him that it's true that God will graciously give you this suffering to, uh, to grow your faith. That you might enjoy making much of him through fearlessness of faith and humility of love. And just seeing him suffer and struggle has been, just like Paul's imprisonment and his suffering imprisonment, has caused many people to look upon how Danny's dealing with it. And to grow their faith. So I think it would be really good, just to finish with, just those couple of questions that I'm just going to put on the screen. It would be good to pray for a believer that you know is suffering or feeling opposition at the moment for their faith. Help them overcome it. Pray for them to overcome it, with the fearlessness of their faith. Pray for Danny, that he would know the Lord is with him, and that in his suffering, in his difficulty, the Lord is in it with him, and he is growing and doing something in that. It's important that we do pray for people and hold them in prayer, that they would know that truth. And then for ourselves, in what specific situation could God be using opposition, or even suffering, to create a fearlessness, and a faith in you. What specific situation could God be using opposition and suffering to create a fearlessness and a faith in you? Let's not overlook these oppositions. They're opportunities to do something in us. 
And let's not do them alone. Let's remember that we're in this together. This is not something that we are to go out all James Bond on our own and get picked off like I did with the CU, um, asking for a CU at school. Let's do this together. And I encourage you to share that with one another if there's a suffering or an opposition that you're facing at the moment. And ask them to pray that it would produce a fearlessness of your faith. going to finish there we're going to finish with a song um if you don't mind coming up nikki that'd be great but it's going to give us a moment as nikki just plays in the background for us to think about those questions